You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's good to see I have a two-part podium. I've never seen that before. Did you make this, Rick? You did. I like it. That way it can fit in your Fiat. That's awesome. Goes right there in the back seat of the smart car. That is fabulous. My name is John Gore. This is my gorgeous wife, Young. Young, stand on up. Here she is. Come on. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh, I'm a very blessed man. I won't have time to talk about all of my testimony, but suffice it to say, if God can save this guy and put him up here, he can do anything. I'll tell you that for sure. He can do anything. I was a wreck as a young Christian. I continue to be an emotional wreck, only propped up by trusted men around me, so I can hopefully make it to heaven one day. Amen? But tonight, very grateful to be here. Thank you so much to Steve and the whole LA Singles leadership for hosting this down here. It is, a, it, it's, this is incredible. I'm so encouraged to be here. Thank you to Turnwall. He's in the back. Uh, real name only known by the CIA, but thanks Turnwall for putting my name in the hat. I really appreciate that. And, uh, wow, just to be here and look out at y'all. Y'all are, be- you're a beautiful crowd. You know that about yourselves? You are a good looking crowd. You can clap for yourselves, okay? That's right. That's right, okay? Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Amen. A. Amen. Juan, thank you for that introduction. And uh, um, Juan has like the cutest baby boy you've ever seen in your life. So I couldn't help myself but to grab him. And then I'm large, I'm warm, and I'm hairy. So I'm like a big teddy bear. They just, those babies go right to sleep. Just knock them out every time. Uh, But very grateful for all your service here. And uh, just happy to be in San Diego. Happy to be on staff and so encouraged by the singles. And I have to say, Daniel Smith, you took it to another level tonight. Brother, where you at? At one point I was sweating. At one point I was going to cry. And I was like, don't cry before you go up there. I know God's good, but don't cry before you go on stage. You almost had me there, Daniel. And I appreciate Haley Schultz, Nick Persinger on the backup vocals. Uh, you guys are amazing, amazing, uh, inspiring gathering of people here. And uh, I wanted to say a big shout out to all the singles in San Diego. You're here. That's good to know. To Mark and Gia Shea, who lead our singles ministry here. So grateful to them. And, and a special thanks to the Pomerado Singles. We're in the Pomerado region. And, and I, I'm sure, like Steve goes, no, our singles are the best. And I'm sure other people, oh, our singles are the best. But, but our singles are the best. I'm just telling you that. They're the best. Uh, it's a fact. I'm so grateful for David Kim, Dana Goff, Michelle Ekman, Lori Frederick. They lead our singles ministry. Uh, I'm so grateful for all the way that the singles serve in our region. They serve, they do AV, they do worship, they do preaching, they do children's ministry, they do community service, they're ushers, they make communion. You all make 
the kingdom move forward. I'm so incredibly grateful for all of you. And I know that, e- that everybody in here is doing the same in your church. Serving your heart out for the Lord. And it makes a difference. And it does not go unnoticed. I want to tell you that. But I love the diverse crowd that we have tonight. We have recent graduates, single men and women, divorcees, widows, widowers are all here tonight to celebrate God. And I want to let you know, single people are changing America. Our largest cities are populated by the unmarried. You are a marketing, economic, and social tour de force. And you play a similarly important role in the church. And as your ranks grow, you will continue to mold and shape the church and God's kingdom moving forward. And you will shape and change how Christ's bride reaches out and changes the community around her because of your influence. This is the impact that you have. My goal tonight is to convince you of the necessity, potency, and soul-pleasing satisfaction that comes from connecting through genuine relationship. My title tonight is Connecting Through Relationships. And while I got the podium over, oh, it's in my pocket. I also have a clicker. They didn't trust me with the real ones. They gave me like this Duplo Lego one here. Does this thing work? Oh, title slide. You missed that one. Did it myself. But connecting through relationships, the significance of how we connect to God and one another. In 1995, a man named Robert Putnam wrote an essay titled Bowling Alone, which was then published in 2000. And what he noticed after doing research and collecting over a half million surveys is that in America we are more disconnected than ever. That we sign less petitions. That we belong to less groups who meet together. That in fact we socialize with both friends and family and we know our neighbors less than we have in the past 25 years. And this trend has only continued since 2000. Bowling alone. Because what he had noticed is, while now this is 2000, late 90s, okay, so stay with me, that while bowling participation had increased, participation in bowling leagues had decreased. And people were bowling alone. We find ourselves in that same situation today. And it's found that when the breakdown of community and connection occurs, there's all sorts of deleterious effects that go on in society. Because while America might be founded on the fact that an individual can take power into his hands and raise up through the socioeconomic ranks, the idea of America still relies on the fact that we come together in unity and decide how we'll be governed and in which ways we will allow one another and ourselves to pursue health, wealth, and happiness. We are designed to be with one another. But when this happens, when we're alone, we experience a breakdown of society. What is society? 
An organized group of persons associated together for religious, benevolent, cultural, scientific, political, patriotic, or other purposes. Or a highly structured system of human organization for large-scale community living that normally furnishes protection, continuity, security, and a national identity for its members. To have society, you must have individuals and they must be connected. When those connections break down, society breaks down. When society breaks down, we see the fall of a nation. We see a fall of a community. We see a fall of peoples because this is occurring. What else happens? They do research. Research is sown with kids in parenting relationships, but also in community. That When we lose these social bonds, we have an increased risk of mental health disease, infectious disease, and a lower life expectancy because of connection. You know, social isolation, loneliness is the mental health crisis of America today. Schizophrenia can be managed. Depression can be alleviated. But there is no pill for loneliness and isolation. The only way to solve this is to connect with one another. Society needs a change. I would argue our church needs a change. And it's going to start right here that we will connect with one another. And in fact, that we will be catalysts of change. That we would begin that change right here in this room. That we would be a church, I believe already our strength, but needs to go to another level that connects deeply with one another. And that this in turn will change society around us. Sorry, Steve, I have a better definition than you. It involves chemistry. What is a catalyst? A substance that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction without itself being effective. Affected. An interesting concept, right? That it would promote change in something else, but itself would not be changed. Certainly God is like this. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Certainly Jesus is like this. He's the Alpha Omega and He never changes. But when we go out into society and we're rooted deeply in God, then we get to be the same way. And instead of being influenced by the world, we go out, we change the world, but we remain true and the same to God. This is what it means to be a catalyst. But how do we do this? How do we go and be a catalyst? Interesting thing about catalysts. Here's how they work. You have a substrate. On this substrate, you have a couple molecules going on. Top left is the catalyst. Then we have two other molecules or atoms, whatever they might be, and they come together and they bond to that catalyst. That catalyst then facilitates the change that needs to happen. And those atoms or molecules. You guys see that? Okay, so what makes a catalyst effective? Its ability to bond. Its ability to bond with the reagents around it is what makes a catalyst effective. So what makes it ineffective? Mmm, inhibitor bonds. Mmm. We don't like purple inhibitor bonds. They block our reactants. Sorry, studied biology. I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I was a jock and a nerd, which unfortunately makes me a jerk when you put those together. I apologize. But this is us. Catalyst for change. But it's crucial that we connect. That we bond. 
And while our society is heading towards a dangerous part with greater loneliness, greater social isolation, greater mental health needs, emotional health needs, and certainly greater spiritual health needs, it seems with all the hate and all the vitriol, we are coming to a point where there's going to be a reckoning. Because things will keep getting worse and worse without connection. All of our society's ills, all the major ills in society right now are because we're not connected to one another. Why is it blacks versus whites? Because there's not enough connection of blacks and whites. Why are we concerned about an active shooter? Because we don't have active neighborhoods. Why is there violence in schools? Because we don't have alliance in schools. It's this connection. And if we don't fix it, our society will have to pay the piper. And a reckoning will come. But thank God there's a solution. And that solution is instead of a reckoning, instead of waiting for that day when judgment comes and we're stuck and we're lonely, we didn't connect with one another, we didn't connect with God. Instead of having to face a reckoning, we get to have reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We were reconciled to God, and it came at the price of His Son, but that was the purpose for which He came. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That first connection. We're going to be a catalyst. We're going to bond. First of all, we need to connect with God. Because that's why Jesus came. That we can be reconciled to God. Now, it's interesting. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, it it means to be put back in a right relationship, into a correct relationship with God. And certainly, while we were running astray in our own sins, having no idea what was going on, or maybe even rebellious against God's laws, knowing full well what we were going on to, but we in our own way, we tried to satisfy our own desires. We were disconnected from God. And at some point, God said, I'm willing to reconcile with you. And we said, thank you. We said thank you, we made Jesus Lord, and we were baptized. And that is a great step towards reconciliation. But I want to propose this to to us. We're only reconciled to God when we are in the correct relationship with God. There are many ways to have a relationship with God, but there is only one correct way to have a relationship with God. And some of us, in our minds, in our actions, through our prayers, in our Bible reading, the way that we connect with God, is as a master and his servant, which is a relationship with God, but it's not the relationship that Jesus died for. To be reconciled into a true relationship with God, we have to see what type of relationship did Jesus want us to have with God. And he states it very plainly. If we look over here, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
See, when Jesus came, he wanted to change the way we bond with God. He wanted to change the way that we connect with him. He wanted us to be his kids, and he wanted God to be our father. And so he came and he preached about the Father, getting to the Father, come back to the Father, I'm the way to the Father. And then he went and he said, my Father, and he talked about my Father, made it so personal. And then he said, our Father, and then he said, when you pray, your Father, your Father. Father, help me with this wire over here. This is a correct relationship with God. This is a reconciled relationship with God. One of father and son. One of father and daughter. This is reconciled. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of master and servant. It's so easy to fall into the trap of general and soldier. It's so easy to fall into the trap of employer and employee. And how do we know this? How do we approach God? What are we asking for? When do we think we're in good standing and when do we think we're in poor standing? If that's even a thing that we have standing, then we're not in a reconciled relationship with God. Now you're, you're right, okay? I'm not, I'm not taking away your salvation. Don't freak out. What I'm saying is that, that Jesus wants us to connect with God in a different way. Because when I say, hey, connect with God, the first easy thing is to say, okay, read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. And these are great things to do. Do. Read your Bible and pray. Do those things. But I'm talking about connecting with him as a child does to their dad. This is totally different. You know, Jesus doesn't tell the story of Luke 15 and the prodigal son only for the son to come back, be, quote, reconciled to his father and yet work as a hired hand in his town. That would be weird. Just in the same way, I have an 8 and a 10-year-old, and, and Juan is absolutely right. They're the cutest things you've ever seen in your life. I didn't bring any pictures. You'll have to imagine. But I have an Asian wife, and I'm a white guy. So they're happy, so they're the best, right? <laughs> so these little suckers, 8 and 10, whatever, they grow up, and they decide, you know, I'm, I'm out of here, Dad. I'm, I'm taking off. Uh, I think you stink, and uh, I hate you all. And they take off. And then they can't find a job or it doesn't pay enough or whatever it is. And then they, they come home, right? They're like, Dad, can I come home now? And if I say, sure, absolutely, I know you really had a tough time. I have so much compassion on it. Come in here and I treat them as an employee and as a tenant. Our relationship isn't reconciled. Not until they can feel and experience they're the child and I'm the father again. This is who God is. And what I love about God is when he describes him as a father, that means that he has all the desires of a father to meet your needs. That's what we do. That's what a father does, is meet the child's needs. Now, we think this is very selfish because we have in our minds, okay, deny self, pick up your cross, and my whole life, God only wants me so I can go out and help other people. God does want you to go out and help other people, but that's not why he wants you. He wants you because he wants you to be his son and his daughter. And he does want to meet your needs because he's a dad. And if he doesn't meet your needs, then he's not the father God. And if I don't meet my kids' needs, I'm called a neglectful father. And that's not God. So that means he wants to meet your needs. But the great thing about God He's very different than me is that he can meet your needs. My kids have a lot of needs and I can't meet them all. That's the plain truth. And when they move out of my house, there's going to be areas of their heart that I did not fill. And I'm going to pray to Jesus that God would fill them for them. 
But God wants us and expects us to come to him as children and in need. So how do you know if you have this relationship with God? Where do you go to get your needs met? When you feel lonely, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like you're not worthy, when you feel like you're not doing enough, do you turn to food? Do you turn to work? Do you see how many likes you have, how many followers you have? Do you go shopping? Do you turn to pornography? Lust? Where do you turn? Where do you turn when you're in that deepest area of need? That tells you, is God your father? Because when my kids are sad, when they're lonely... I want them to come to me. And I have a very emotional and intelligent 10-year-old who beat me in her first com- argument at the age of four. <laughs> at the end of that state, at the end of our argument, I said, you have a good point, babe. Um, so there's times I have no idea what to do, but I, I figured out one thing. To sit on the chair, I say, come here, babe. And she sits on my lap, and I hold her. I don't say a lot because I'm not a very emotionally intelligent guy. I'm emotional, but just not emotionally intelligent, which is frustrating. <laughs> and I hold her. And about 95% of the time, that fixes the issue. And then mom comes in and she does the talking. <laughs> this, is, this is God. This is a reconciled relationship. Now, when you think of this is my God, whom I'm now connecting with, not just reading the Bible because I have to, and it makes me feel like I'm an okay standing with God now that I've read my Bible, not just praying to him because i I got to check off the box and I should really just be praying all about other people and and all their needs. And yes, pray about other people and all their needs, but God expects you to come to him. And when we're filled up with God, nobody has to tell us, Hey, go tell people about God. We just want to. Because we see the world around us. We remember what it was like not to have a relationship with God. We see our coworkers. I I remember. I remember being so alone and confused. Now, I had 50 of my best friends on Friday night and Saturday night. But come Sunday afternoon and Sunday night, when I had to lay my head to sleep in sobriety... That was a lonely time. That was a sad time. I had nowhere to go. And we have the answer. We have the answer to all of society's ills. If they would only believe us. Because we're connected first to God. Amen? All right, moving along here. He came for a second reason. A second reason of reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Check out this next one. 
1 John 4, 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. There's a twofold purpose for Jesus coming to earth. One is to reconcile each individual to Him, but the other one is to reconcile us to one another. And isn't that amazing? Could you look around on our society today and think, you know what, we could really use help. If only there is one, there is a way to make one new humanity in which we didn't divide along racial lines, in which we didn't divide along economic lines, in which we didn't divide along educational lines, in which we, we didn't divide on political lines. We have an answer right here in Jesus. He came for this purpose, to reconcile us to one another, to have relationships So guess what in the church? What are we meant to have? Love God, love one another. This is what we're here for. To be connected with God and be connected with one another. This is God's plan and His desire for our lives. How's our connections here? How's our connections with one another? How's this one new humanity? This is the greatest thing I love about the church. I remember the first time I walked into church back in 2001, January 2001. And I had been studying this this uh, class called Dimensions of Culture. I went to Thurgood Marshall College. He's the first black justice. And so this class was all about race and ethnicity and prejudice and racism and classism and sexism. And then finally all of that wrapped up and how does it play out structurally within the system of law here in the United States. And as a upper middle class heterosexual white male, I felt like I'm white devil in this class. I hated that class. <laughs> but it did highlight to me It did highlight to me what a white suburbia I grew up in. And then I got invited to church by a six foot four, 240 pound black man. I thought he was going to fight me when he was coming to invite me to church. (laughs) You know, when you lock in on somebody, you're going to, I'm going to share with this person. You like lock in on them. You know what I'm talking about? He did that. He locked in on me. So he locks in on me, and he's a black dude at UCSD. There are not so many of those. And he's huge. And the only thing I can think is like, what did I do last weekend to this dude? Because, hey, man, you're coming to church? Oh, thank God. Oh. No, no, I don't want to go. Um, but he found me again the next week, and uh, I went to church. And the thing I noticed, I don't remember what they, what they sang. I don't remember what they said. I just remember there's every color under the sun and they're hugging each other in here. Now, I can talk all day long and the professor can preach all day long in this class over here. But he can't make this happen. He can't do it. It's only because of Jesus. And it's amazing. Okay, I got, I got ahead of myself just a little bit. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So Jesus died for two reasons. I love this quote. Jesus died for two reasons. First, to reconcile us to God, and second, to reconcile us to each other. Hear this. As long as we say, I'll take care of this myself, we commit two errors. We persist in the erroneous idea that we don't need other people, and we frustrate the very thing for which the Son of God died. When we don't connect with one another, when we say, I got this, 
When we say, I don't need vulnerability. When we say, I can do it on my own. When we say, it's just between me and God. He knows my heart. We frustrate the very thing for which the Son of God died. How important are your relationships? How deep are your relationships? How connected are you? Because if we're not doing that, then we're denying the second half of why he came. To reconcile us to one another. Check out this next one right here. Over in Colossians chapter 3. Here, right in this room, in this church, in the body of Jesus, there's no Gentile or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Our variety, our differences are the glory of God. Because if we already look and feel and sound like one new humanity, then where's the glory to God? But the glory is in our differences. The glory is in our differences. Check out these groups of people right here, right? These guys are all hanging out. They're having a great time. He's got a sweet beard. He's got an awesome mustache. By the way, I have a beard not to be hip, but because a beard is easier to grow than a jawline. Just remember that, okay? Tuck that one in your back pocket, fellas. You got it. I got a sweet fedora. I got a tattoo. Okay, you see these people hanging out together? You're like, whatever. Nothing special. Bunch of hipsters all hanging out. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't say, whoa, look at those guys. I wonder what brings them together. What kind of love do they have? Nobody says that. Check out these people. The Plaid Brothers, right? Hi, guys. Hey, you want to go hang out? Let's go get some craft beer together, yeah. Oh, man, I, l- I like a double IPA. Hmm. Right? If there's three brothers like this and they go hang out, they have a great time, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. Okay? The baby boomer crowd. They go out, right? They're older. They go to the wine bar, I guess. I don't know. Game night, golf, shuffleboard. I'm not sure. Juan said, come on, Steve. (laughs) Come on, Steve. We're here at Catalyst. Anyway. These people go hang out together. Nobody cares. Hey, old people, have a great time. I'm going over here. Nothing special happening. But when we're different, when we're different, when this is our crowd, and I looked up diversity, right? I'm like, diversity pictures, you know, pictures on the internet. It's like the best one I can find. It's pretty good. This picture doesn't hold a candle to what we have in here. Not even a little bit. But it's our differences. When we go out, let's say we say we we go, you know what, we're going to take a, a white brother, a black brother, a Mexican brother. Now we're all going to go out and we're going to have a great time together. We're going to have some great conversations. We're going to be laughing and have a great time. People start looking. Now people are like, wait a minute, what's going on over there? That's a little bit different, right? The three guys in plaid drinking their IPAs are like, whoa. <laughs> this is something different. This says something. It's our differences. Do we celebrate our differences? Or do we just hang out in cliques? Do we just hang out with the people that are like us? They like the things that we like. They dress kind of like us. 
They look kind of like us. They think like us. They feel like us. Enjoy the same sports. Enjoy the same hobbies. If this is what groups us together, then we're no different than the world. But if we love, admire, appreciate the differences, that screams to the world, there's something different. It screams to the world, i got to figure out what's going on over here. Now, I might not connect with each one of these people, and maybe I think that guy's a little bit off, and I would never talk to her, but they're all talking together. And I'm over here with my friends, and we all like the same stuff, but I still feel lonely because we don't talk about anything deep. Then they go, I want to be a part of that group. I want to be a part of the group that's deep. I want to be a part of the group that has something that unites them that's a little bit more than superficial. And this cries out. Number one, it makes us more full as the body of Christ. But it cries out to the world. There's something different. So we've got to connect with God, and we have to connect with one another. So how do we do that? What do we need to do? Over in Colossians chapter 3, right? It starts off, there's no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. Like none of our differences matter is what it's saying. Get rid of all your labels. Oh, they're the cool people. Oh, they're the hipster people. Oh, they're the AV people. Oh, they're the worship people. Oh, they're the... Get rid of all the lines. There's no more lines, okay? So therefore, okay, he goes, here there's no difference. Therefore, here there's no difference. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So what unites us? We're God's chosen people. That's the only dividing line that there is in the mind of God, in the mind of Christ, and the only dividing line that there should be in the minds of Christians. Those that are with God and those that we want to be with God. That's the only dividing line. Holy and dearly loved. Oh, that's a great feeling. Do we treat one another like that? Holy and dearly loved is what unites you. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity look at all these descriptions here we're going to talk about loving one another compassion kindness humility gentleness patience bear with one another forgiving one another these are difficult things there's a thing called compassion fatigue have you heard of that counselors get it ministers get it because they're pouring out compassion all the time. They get compassion fatigue. Why? Compassion's hard. It's hard work to be compassionate. Okay? How about being humble? Oh, man. That takes work. If anybody raises their hand to are you naturally humble, you are a liar or self-deceived. <laughs> it is work to be humble. Patience. Patience. Even the sound of the word, right? Patience. Too many consonants. Bear with one another. To forgive. This hard work is not easy. So why do we just hang out with the people that are easy to hang out with? Probably means you're not doing any of these things. You're not practicing it. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy all the time. It's just nice. It's happy. We're probably not 
doing the hard work of loving one another. But when you take that brother or sister that's different, they have different interests, they have different likes, they think about God and the scriptures and, and, and even how to relate to one another differently, it's hard work, but it's more rewarding. And that which is easily obtained is cheaply esteemed, my sister-in-law always says. But we choose the cheap things all the time, and then guess what? We esteem them lowly. And friendships can come and go. But when they're deep, when we have to work hard for them, then they matter to us. Then what does he tell them to do? Continuing the verse. In 15 it says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with, thank you very much, gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. How's this going in our fellowship? How's this going in our connection with one another? Is the word of Christ dwelling among you richly? Are you speaking to one another? Not in different jargon and language. Whatever the new cool hip words are that youngsters are using nowadays. Are you using hymns and psalms and scripture to speak to one another? Are you admonishing one another? You know, one new thing that, that's kind of cropped up is this idea of, oh, we, we, we want to be so accepting, right? Oh, I accept you. I accept you for all your faults and everything in there. And although that's a great sentiment, it's so superficial to accept rather than to love. Because if you're going to love, you've got to do the hard work. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be patient. You've got to bear with people. And you have to teach and admonish. When we go, oh, I, I accept you, and we just kind of live that way, then what we do is we just let each other stay in our sins. And instead of being most concerned about how are we connecting with God, we'll let each other continue to go back to food or pornography or superficial relationships or spending money or whatever it is because we just, oh, we're just accepting, we're just accepting here. Instead of teaching and admonishing, you go, no, bro or sis, I want to help you to have a right relationship with God. I see this pattern in your life where you continue to do this, and that's not right. It's not helping you in relationship with God. It's just an observation, but maybe you could consider that you're not going to God for your need. Now, what is the need that you're looking for when you head off to pornography? What's the need you're looking for when you're flirtatious with the brothers? What's the need that you're looking for when you go out shopping? What's the need you're looking for when you're eat overeating, you're eating too much sugar, whatever it might be? These are the, we have to talk about it. Because these things harm our relationships with God. But if it's just superficial, if it's just, oh, just, just accepting, just accepting, we're going to cruise through life, no, Loving each other is hard work. But if we learn to do this, if we learn to really connect with each other, we learn to really love each other, then we become that excellent catalyst that is good at bonding, that is good at connecting. And so what do we want to do? Here's what I want to teach and admonish possibly for you to do. Is to consider these things. To focus in our relationships with one another on compassion, humility, forgiving one another and admonishing one another. I think these are areas that really need to be strengthened in our fellowship. That we would have compassion. We would seek to understand. We would seek to know someone better. Different, same, otherwise. We would really want to extend compassion. That we would have humility with one another. Because humility is really where we get vulnerability 
Typical bro says, here's what I'm working on, but you know what? What I really want to know is, what do you think I need to work on? What do you see in me that it's just not quite aligning with Christ? What do you see in me that I need to change? How I need to repent? That's humility. That breeds openness. That breeds vulnerability. These are the conversations that we need to have. We have to forgive each other. Because sometimes when you admonish, maybe you go overboard. Sometimes we didn't love each other like we were supposed to. We didn't bear with each other. We weren't patient. Okay, it's hard work. But we've got to forgive so we can keep these relationships. Is there anybody you need to forgive? If there is, I want you to write their name down right now. Man, this person just comes to mind. When you say forgive, oh, I just have a hard time being around them. I feel a bit uncomfortable. I kind of avoid them in the fellowship. Uh, I don't want to be in their Bible talk. Okay, write that person's name down. Go ahead, write it down. See, some of you not writing. You're not Get your phone out. And so write it down. Text it to yourself. Email it to yourself. Write it down. Admonish. Okay, these are the things. So tonight, what to do? All right, bring out your phone right now. This is a suggestion from my wife. Get your phone on out. I'm not very practical. She goes, here's what you should tell people to do. I said, sweet, thank you. Okay, we need, to, we need to be connected with one another and connected with God. So tonight, you need to have a conversation with somebody about your connection with God. Somebody that you're close to, somebody that you trust. Who is that person? And text them right now. Okay? Who is that person? And text them right now. Hey, you're my person. Can we talk? Simple like that. Or, hey, yo, bro, what's up? You're my dude. Can we chill? Whatever. Contact them. Did you do it? Did you do it? Oh, some of you don't want to lie. You're not saying anything. That's cool. But you take the opportunity while you're here to connect with somebody and to connect with God. When you meet with them, talk. Go, you know what? I really want to grow in my relationship with God. I want Him to be my Father. Here's where I think I need to grow. What do you think I need to do? Have that conversation tonight with that person. You got your name of who you want to forgive. And you know that when we're connected with God, when we're connected with one another, we really get to experience the fullness of why Christ came and died for us. To be reconciled to God in a father-child relationship and to be reconciled to one another without dividing line, without label, and with a pure love for one another. And when we do this, when we're able to display this in the church, it screams out to the world around us, hey, the answer is over here. Now, not everybody's going to want it, not everybody's going to like it, and not everybody's willing to do the hard work that it takes to be connected with God and to one another, but you will be the light. And people will either be drawn to you or they will run far from you because they don't want to do all the things that you're doing, but you will make a difference. And when we're connected like this, we will become the church that cries out to the world, come to us. We will be the church that lifts up Jesus and his reconciliation power that he has given us. We will be a catalyst in our world. Thank you so much. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.